I want to tell you this morning about a racetrack and a bag of cement. But first, the racetrack. I remember as a boy, I got a gift of a racetrack for Christmas, and it was way more awesome than this racetrack, if you can believe it or not. But uh, parents, if you need a racetrack, this one was $12 at Dollar General, so you can get one too. But my racetrack was a Christmas gift, and it was built by my dad and my grandfather, and it was built on a four-by-eight sheet of plywood with a little frame around it, and it had the green grass on it, and it had little trees, and it was one of those slot car racetracks, the, the kind with the little trigger where you could control the speed of the car. And this racetrack was even more awesome than that because it included a train track, and the slot car racing track and the train track crossed each other. So when you were racing a friend, you had to sort of slow down and not hit the train. Or if you got tired of racing, you could try to hit the train, which was also another game that we played. You know, my room wasn't very big at that time, and there wasn't enough room in my bedroom to put this awesome four by eight race train track. And uh, my dad and my granddad created a pulley system where it could raise up to the ceiling and then I could untie it and use the crank and lower it onto my bed. Folks, that racetrack was excellent. Excellent! And I loved showing it to my friends. And I felt loved because of it, and I felt worthy, and I felt confident, because that racetrack was excellent. Well, King Solomon in Scripture says this to us. He says, whatever you do, do well, for when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Whatever you do, do well. We have one life to live. And so the Bible, beyond Ecclesiastes, is full of encouragement to, to do our best, to, to give our best, to bring our best. You see, doing it well means a couple of things. This word we're looking at today, excellence, means a couple of things. It, it means that, that when we do it well, we give worth to God who gave us the capability to, to do it to begin with, the gift of whatever we're doing. It means that we give worth and honor to the other people that we're serving or that we're doing something for. And finally, it means that we give worth to the mission that we are representing. You see... Um, the way we say it here at Mountaintop is excellence. Bring your best. Excellence is just, it's the bottom line, it's bringing our best. And, and we're going to talk about that uh, this morning. And we're going to look at, at how excellence uh, comes from, from Scripture. But often this word excellence has a connotation to it. You see, and let me say this clearly, excellence is not just a business value. It is a biblical value. You see, businesses like uh, 
excellence because it helps with a lot of things. It, they want to honor their clients, right? They want to give good customer service. They, wanna, uh, they want their products to fly off the shelf, so they, they raise this value of excellence. They want their profit margins to be high and their, their customers to return. Churches sometimes shy away from the value of excellence. Uh, they, they have a fear that it would become just a show or that the church would become too success-oriented or, or, or maybe that it would limit the work of the Holy Spirit and we would sort of take God's work away from God by pursuing excellence. That um, maybe it's not even in the Bible, people say. And, uh, maybe. The worst thing about excellence is that it would turn into a soul-deadening search for perfection. But excellence, as part of the heartbeat of our faith, as part of the heartbeat of Scripture, as part of the heartbeat of what it means to follow Jesus and be the church together. You see, we bring our best because what we do together matters a lot. I want to share a story that comes from Tom Rainier. He um, studies uh, churches and how they function, and um, he encountered a lady by the name of, of Gina, and he shares part of her story in, in one of his books. It begins this way. It says, uh, uh, Gina uh, said, I'm a 32-year-old divorcee. And divorcee hung in the air with uncertainty. You could tell that uh, Gina was uncomfortable sharing that. And she continued to share. She said that I was on top of the world just two years ago. Mike and I finally had our first child. The best days were ahead, she reflected. And then she stopped. And she immediately apologized. She said she had no right to, to share that matter with the interview group, but we assured her that we wanted to know. We wanted to know her life and her heart. Well, in part of the interview, uh, she was asked about how she found Lakeview Church, the church she attended. She said the story was pretty simple. She said, after Mike left me, I started looking for a church. I asked a lot of people where I could find a church that would take good care of Elizabeth, her two-year-old daughter. She said, I wasn't about to put my two-year-old in an unsafe, unsanitary, and uncaring place. Lots of people told me to check out Lakeview Church. Well, Gina made that eight-mile journey to Lakeview Church. And she told the interviewers that Elizabeth is my whole world now. I wanted her to be raised in a religious setting, but I was fearful of what I would find at churches. But when she got to Lakeview, her, her fears were unfounded. She says, I was really impressed that they had designated parking for parents. Uh, there were signs that showed me how to get to the we care area um, and the moment I entered the building, people were greeting me and telling me where to go and helping me and seemed to care for me. She continued, you could 
you, could, you should see this place. It's cleaner than Disney World and just as attractive. She says Elizabeth was so excited that she ran to her room instead of having that moment of separation anxiety that all parents fear. She continued, as I entered worship, the adults were friendly and seemed to genuinely want me to be there. Later on in the conversation, she was asked, Gina, uh, when did you become a Christian? She could remember the specific moment in worship where she prayed to receive Christ that she added to that story. She said, but there were so many factors that led me to that place. It was the culmination of several events. And then she continued. One of the first things I did after I joined the church was to volunteer to work in we care. You know, I now realize that I was hellbound until I came to Lakeview, and I never would have returned to Lakeview without the great ministry of we care. And then she paused toward the end of the interview and she said this Do you think? Churches realize that great children's ministry make an eternal difference in someone's life. Do you think they really understand? See, we bring our best because the stakes are so high. We bring our best because of the love of God and the love of other people and our passion about what we get to do and be and become together. You see, this thing called church, let's talk about it for a second. It, it's not a building. It's, it's, not a, it's not a program. It's not a specific ministry area. It's, it's not a particular theological stance, uh, I'd love to share a simple definition of church, a two-part definition, if you come with me for a moment. The first thing church is, is this, church is us. It's us. It's us in this room, it's us online, it's the family of God gathered together. In fact, the, the church uh, harkens back to this Greek word, some of you may have heard it before, called ekklesia, and ekklesia means that we're called out of the world to gather together around the cause and mission of Christ, but ekklesia is hardly ever mentioned in the Bible without a connection to another Greek word called basileia. Basileia would begin to share the second part of that definition. Basileia means kingdom. It means God's kingdom. And every kingdom has a king. And for Christian believers all over the world, the king of that kingdom is God's son, Jesus Christ. And so the second part of the definition of church is this. Church is us following Jesus. That's it. That's what church is. 
Not all of the things we sometimes want to make it. The church is simply us following Jesus. It's, it's me and you and you and y'all and you people and you guys over there way up north somewhere. And that's who the church is. And so I want to invite you to look at your neighbor right now and say, you are the church. Now, just for fun, look at your neighbor one more time and say, excellent. That's sort of fun, isn't it? You know, we did that because Bill and Ted are coming out with a new movie. I know. I can't believe it. Um, well, the Christian church is totally unique. And the greatness of every church is dependent upon us following Jesus. It is dependent upon us bringing our best and following Jesus together. Mountaintop Church exists to invite and equip people to follow Jesus in the idea of excellence. This bringing our best exists throughout Scripture. Not only did King Solomon talk about it, Ecclesiastes we find in the Old Testament that it's often talked about in the context of bringing a sacrifice to God and that that sacrifice should be unblemished, it should be excellent, it should be the best of the flock. In fact... There's a place in Malachi where the people were bringing half sacrifices. They were, they were bringing lazy sacrifices. They were bringing poor sacrifices. And God speaks through the prophet Malachi, and he says, either bring me the prized lamb or bring me nothing at all. Whew. That Old Testament is straightforward, isn't it? Well, the New Testament... Excellence changes a little bit. The focus moves off of the the perfection of the sacrifice, and it becomes less a matter of the sacrifice and more a matter of the right heart because Jesus had become the one and only sacrifice for all time and all places so that we could find freedom from our sinfulness and a connection to God's love and grace, a vision for God's love that goes beyond anything we could create ourselves in our own sinfulness. And so in the New Testament, we find over and over again, not the word excellent, but we find words that mean excellence. And I just want to share a couple with you, a couple of the letters to the ancient churches. First of all, in Philippians 1.9, it says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, that your love may increase, that your love may excel, that your love would be excellent because you keep working on it. In 1 Corinthians 15.58, it says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Give yourselves fully fully to the work of the Lord because that work is never in vain. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Implied there that we do it for an amazing, outstanding, above anything we can imagine, excellent God that will do it with excellence. Lastly, from Philippians 
Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I continue growing. I continue striving. I continue seeking to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. I abound more and more in love. You see, excellence is not random. It's not just a word that we picked up from somewhere else. It's at the core of what it means to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus well. It's at the core of what it means to be in ministry together as a church. It's at the core of what it means for God's kingdom to to come to this earth. You know, Jesus prayed, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are on the front lines of Jesus' prayer to let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it seems that um, excellence is something that uh, great business leaders tend to lean into, though, don't they? I mean, show me a great business, and at some part in the history of that business, there's been a focus on excellence. I I just, I think of names, Elon Musk and Bill Gates and and Tim Cook and and Larry Page of Google. I I think of companies that have a focus on excellence and how uh, the the Japanese car makers uh, changed the auto industry and forced everybody else to catch up over time. I think of coaches, winning coaches tend to focus on excellence, don't they? I, I mean, you know, Nick Saban himself says, we, we, don't, we don't play against an opponent necessarily. We play to a standard. And those of you who have ever been on an athletic field, let me know if you've heard these phrases before. Practice makes perfect. Right? How, how about this one for those of you who played football? The eye in the sky don't lie. That was like my coach's, you know, he's like, the video will, will, will get you, right? Hey, how about this one? No pain, no gain. Or win the day. Or how about this one? Don't leave anything on the field. You know, God calls us not to leave anything in this life. We have one life to live, and we need to bring our best to it. Great, iconic leaders in our culture have leaned into excellence. Abraham Lincoln, for example, said this, whatever you are, be a good one. Can you see him with his beard? You know? Whatever you are, be a good one. Right? <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, He should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted. That all the host in heaven and on earth will pause to say, here lived the great street sweeper who did his job well. He leaned into excellence. Well, Jesus, the single most influential leader in all of history, leans into excellence as well. But he flips the script for us. You see, Jesus says it's less about victories and more about attitude. 
It's less about a perfection and more about people. It's less about capability and more about the right heart. It's less about resources and more about how we use those resources. You see, we'll look at a verse in Matthew 22 in just a second, but before that, in Matthew 21 and 22 and earlier in in the book of Matthew, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees were having this discussion with Jesus. In fact, it really wasn't a discussion. It was was more of a confrontation, And, and Scripture tells us that they were trying to trap him into saying something that would get him arrested. And so they came at him with heady and tricky questions about taxes and about Caesar and and about the resurrection. And he was just slaying the questions. I mean, they were teeing it up, and he was knocking it out of the park. So finally, they come to him with one last question. And and, and it seemed to be maybe he had convinced them maybe this question was sincere. And the last question they come to him with is this. What is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Moses. I don't know if it was intended to be a trick question to get Jesus to to give the wrong priority, but it had the wrong heart because Pharisees were constantly looking for perfection. Pharisees were constantly looking to sort of one-up the next Pharisee over, right? And so he came and he said, hey, what's the most important commandment? See, Pharisees maybe thought that the most important commandment was about earning God's love. Maybe they thought that it was about achieving perfection. Maybe they thought that it was about being better than someone else. Maybe they thought that it was about impressing their friends. But excellence ultimately is about love. It's about what we love and who we love and how we love. And Jesus' answer tells us this. Jesus responded in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. You must love the Lord your God with just a little bit of your heart, just a smidgen of your soul, and just a pinch of your mind. That's not what he said, did he? He didn't say a fourth. He didn't say a half. He didn't say three-fourths. He didn't say 90%. Essentially, Jesus said, bring your best. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then he continued. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This means so much. It's not just about children's ministry. It's about every area of ministry at church. It's about every relationship we have outside the church, about bringing our best. I, I never forget it. One time I wore one of those blue vests at Walmart because that's where I worked. And, and the boss told us to sweep up a certain area of the garden section. And I went over and I swept it up and I swept it up and I swept it up. And he comes back and he goes, wow, this is the best job I've ever seen. Folks, that was giving God glory and honor. 
and exist in every area of our life. It does mean showing up on time. It means being prepared. It means a ministry that is clean and secure and safe. It means being organized. It means being relevant. It means being caring and empathetic. It means bringing our best every Sunday and every day because God is worthy, because other people are worthy, and because the mission that we represent is worthy. And I want to close with this bag of cement. I want to tell you a a surprising story about excellence. You see, I I was on a a, a mission trip to Haiti a few years ago in a little town of Momont's. There's no running water. There's no electricity in Momots. And we're working on a school there that um, our church was uh, sponsoring and led the way to build it. Um, Haitians are great masons, but they're really bad engineers. So so we were there helping him with the engineer part of the construction. And and we had some of these poles, but they were a little flimsy. And so we came up with an engineering method to pour uh, cement into the pole. And and it was a PVC pole. And we poured cement into it and a little bit of water and a little bit of cement and a little bit of water and a little bit of cement and a little bit of water. And we were mixing it up in the pole. And we were going to let it harden. And it was going to strengthen the pole. And basically, we were going to have a concrete reinforced pole to hold up a temporary structure that was supposed to last about a year year. And because I am so smart, we're mixing up this concrete, and I take this pole, and I begin to jostle it a little bit. But then I think, well, if I jostle it even more, it'll go faster, right? So I bang it down on the ground like that. And you know what happens, don't you? That mixed, wet, soupy concrete mess comes flying up out of the pole. And as I'm looking up, it comes down on the side of my head, into my eye, totally covering my ear. I could taste it in my mouth and down onto my shirt. Well, if you know anything about this stuff, when you mix it with water and you get it on, look at that, and you get it on your skin, if you don't wash it off pretty quickly, it's going to start to form an acid burn reaction on your skin. People have been hospitalized for it. And I was out in what felt like 115 degree heat, and I knew it was going to dry quickly. And so I go walking toward the well, and the well is drying up, and it's not working that well. And it's really awkward. I go over to one side of the well, and and I'll pump it on this side. And then I try to come over here and grab just a little bit of water on my hand, and I'm trying to wipe it on my face, and I'm just not getting the job done. Oh, a man, a stranger, a villager in Mamonts comes walking by, and I told you Haitians are great masons, so he knew what was going on. And and he yells out a phrase to a little child playing some yards away. And the child came over and begins pumping the well. And he called me over to the end of the well. And not much water was coming out, but he held both hands under. And he told me to lean down. And he would take that water. And he began rubbing all of the concrete out of my ear and off the side of the face. And I mean, he put his fingers down in there in places I've never been touched before. And, And I was a little uncomfortable, but he totally got my ear clean. He brought his best to that situation and showed me a love that gave God glory, that showed love to me, and that represented his life. And he didn't have any resources to do it with except handfuls of water out of the end of a well that was running dry. Jesus said, love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, when we talk about bringing our best at Mountaintop Church, that's what we're talking about. It's not a business concept. It's a, it's a biblical concept that we would press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of us, that our love would abound more and more. So I ask you this morning, what could we do together? How could God use Mountaintop Church in our community if we each decided that with the resources I have, with the gifts I have, with the heart I have, with the ability I have, that God, I'm going to bring my best and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to remain available for you to use me and lead me and guide me. What could God do? I want to live through that season and I hope we can live through it together. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you, you, you love us so much, Lord, that you, you rescue us. God, you rescue us from rigid, soul-stealing perfection, God, and you call us to something greater. God, you call us to give our heart fully to your glory. God, to those around us, Lord, and in that, Lord, we find that we are representing the mission of your church well, and God, we have hope that you will use us to do your work. And God, we want to see it. God, we want to be there. God, we want to see Gina and Elizabeth, God. And we want to see all those folks in our midst, Lord. Our friends right next to us this morning, our friends out there we haven't met yet, we want to see them come to a knowledge of who you are. So God, we want to bring our best and give it to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.